0: years ago I was having a conversation with an individual that told me that he'd never done anything wrong unlike Brian Ward who's done everything wrong yes. yeah. <laughs> so this guy told me he'd done nothing wrong and I said well that's interesting I'm really curious and he said because he was convinced he'd never done anything wrong he was gonna go to heaven I said well Have you heard of a thing called the Ten Commandments? He said, yeah, I've heard of that. I said, well, that's God telling us some things that are right and wrong, some ways we should live and we can know if we violated those commandments, we've done some things wrong in our lives. I said, well, Bill, if I ask you about maybe a couple of those Ten Commandments. He said, sure. I said, well, one of them is don't lie. Have, Have you ever lied? He's like, yeah, I have lied before. I said, well. All right, let's ask one more. I said, have you ever stolen anything? He said, no, I've never stolen anything. I said, are you sure? He goes, he thought about it for a few seconds. He said, you know, actually, when I was younger, I stole a radiator out of a car. (laughs) Really? Okay. I said, two for two. You're not doing so good. How do you feel right now? He said, well, I felt a lot better before I talked to you. (laughs) I said, hey, listen, you're in good company because the truth is, that I have broken God's laws just like you. And just like Brian was saying earlier, if we've broken one of God's commands, one of his laws, the Bible says we are law breakers, period. We are all guilty. And the truth is that every single one of us has done something in our lives that was not in line with what God wanted. We are all breakers of the commands of God. We have all spent time in our lives doing whatever we thought was right in our own eyes. I am so grateful that God has an answer for people who do what is right in their own eyes. And the book of Judges points right at that answer. So I want to read a little bit of this passage with you this morning and talk through Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Judges Chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Now, verse 10 tells us of a generation of God's people who did not know the Lord and did not know the work of the Lord. And verse 11 tells us the result of a generation who does not know the Lord. Verse 11. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreth. The Baal and the Ashtoreth just names of the gods in the area where the people were living. And the people have bought in to the gods of the land and have begun to worship them instead of worshiping the one true God. So the generation that was living in the land in the days of the judges did not know the Lord, did not know the work of the Lord, did not pay attention to the Lord. And the result was they bought in to following false gods. we will either be a people who pays attention to what God has said and who God is and worships him or we'll be a people who chooses idolatry there is no middle ground there is no other option either you worship God or you worship everything else but God we we are designed to worship And we're going to worship either God or we're going to worship what the Bible calls idols, idolatry. And the outcome of idolatry is a terrible outcome. And there is no option here. You're going to do one or the other. You disregard God and His Word and you will be an idolater. There's a sermon in the 17th century that I read a little quote from, and I want to share that with you. This man, when he's preaching a sermon, said, The heart of man is an idol factory that we just create one idol after another out of our own hearts. Now, when I read that, I was like, you know, what exactly does he mean? And is that descriptive of me? What he means is that we would prefer our own wisdom over God's wisdom. Left to ourselves, we would prefer the honor of men over the honor of God. Left to ourselves, we would pursue what is right in our own eyes and redefine everything else to fit with that perspective. And that that's our propensity. That's where we go when we do not pay attention to God and His word. And the Bible wastes no time in describing idolatry. The very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve in the garden. They're commanded by God not to take the forbidden fruit and Adam decides they're going to disregard God and his word and take the fruit anyway. So Adam and Eve, they take the fruit and they've been told that the fruit would be good for them. Well, God told them that it was not good for them, but now they believe that what God said was wrong, and so they take the fruit because they say, we would rather do what's right in our own eyes, and we think this fruit looks good to eat, and it's probably better for us than you want us to believe it is, and you've obviously lied to us, and we're going to do whatever we want. And they disregard God, they make a different perspective of God that's not even who God is, and they fall into idolatry, worshiping themselves. Redefining God so that He's not preferable. In Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments include a command that we're not to fashion anything out of wood or metal and call that thing our God and worship that thing as God in the place of the one true God. We're not to fashion an idol. The Old Testament and the New Testament are full of admonitions and encouragements to avoid idolatry. What I think is really interesting is by the time you get to the New Testament, the description of avoiding idolatry is not so much about wood and metal objects that we're fashioning for ourselves to bow down to. It's a totally different perspective. When you get into the book of 1 John, the last phrase in 1 John is keep yourselves from idols. Nowhere in 1 John is it talk about making something out of wood or metal and bowing down to it. But everywhere in 1 John it talks about who Jesus Christ is, what he demands, what he offers, and what it means to follow him. And the whole book is about getting your mind wrapped around who Jesus really is and making sure you follow who He says He is. And it ends with, keep yourselves from idols. Don't think wrongly about Jesus and end up doing whatever you think is right in your own eyes. No, make sure that you pay attention to what Jesus has said and who He is. That's the only way you can avoid avoid idolatry. Have you, have you heard of Andrew Carnegie? He was the, the big steel tycoon, you know, businessman, tycoon, just lots of money, the largest business at that time in our history. When he was 33 years old, tons of money, incredible success, he wrote a note to himself in one of his journals. In that note, he said, man has to have an idol. And he said, one of the most dangerous idols I think exists is the idol of money. And he said to himself, he goes, you know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid that if I keep pursuing making money in the quickest possible way, that eventually I'll find myself in a position where I can no longer maintain integrity of character. I'll be beyond the point of return and I will be a victim to this idolatry. So here's what his plan was. He goes, in two years, I'm going to quit my business and I'm going to pursue what I don't believe I'll be able to pursue if I get wrapped up into this too deeply. But two years later, he just continued trucking along and he became exactly what he feared. I think that's really interesting because if he'd have just, when he was 33, when he wrote that down, if at that point when he had seen clearly enough, he just said, okay, I see the danger. I see the temptation. I'm going to stop this right now. That was like his window of opportunity. And he just trucked right on through that window and then he got sucked in to this doing what is right in your own eyes to the point of no return. The Bible actually describes that reality when it describes idolatry. I want you to listen to this passage. You can turn there if you want. Psalm 115. Psalm 115 starting in verse 4 describes idols. The idols Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throats. Those who make idols will become like idols, everyone who trusts in them. If you live your life without a regard for God and His Word, you will be an idolater, and every idolater has the same outcome. They become just like their idols. Dead. Blind. Broken. Empty. Vain. There's another description in Isaiah chapter 44 of a man who planted a a tree seed. And he saw the trees grow up. When the trees got big enough, he took some of those trees and he cut them down. And he cut some of the wood into firewood. And he built a fire. And on that fire, he warmed himself and he cooked his food. And with the same tree that he used to cook himself food and to keep himself warm, he fashioned out of a piece of that tree an idol that he set up and he began to pray to, saying, Deliver me. And God's word says that's completely foolish. That a man would do that, that he would in one hand hold an idol and in, in the same time see the same wood that he fashioned the idol of and he knows he's using it to feed himself and keep himself warm and he's saying to this idol, deliver me to this is foolish He doesn't even realize that he's holding in his right hand a complete and total lie. It's like his eyes have become blinded, his heart has become dulled, and now what all of us would say is foolish. How foolish is it for that man to say to a piece of wood that he's using to cook his own food, deliver me, when he's the one that planted the seed and chopped the tree down and did all the stuff with it? How in the world can that happen? Because whenever you disregard God and his word and you go into idolatry, it creates a blindness and a dullness that will wipe you out and leave you empty. Idolatry is a terrible, terrible option. And the people of God in the land that God had promised them disregarded God and His Word and they took up Idolatry. And the progression of idolatry would have left them completely bankrupt. Except God did exactly what God said He would do. Look at this this verse here in verse 14. Judges chapter 2 verse 14. The anger of the Lord turned against Israel. And He gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them, so they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord is against them for evil. As the Lord had spoken, and as the Lord had sworn to them, so that they were severely distressed. They went into the land, they disregarded God, and God responded to their pursuit of idolatry by bringing difficulty through enemies and plunderers into their lives I, I think sometimes it's easy to misunderstand the anger of God and to look at scriptures like this that talk about the anger of God through the lens of seeing sinful anger in people and in ourselves And sometimes we can think that when God was angry here with His people, that that must have been a really bad situation. But what I want us to make sure that we do this morning is that we understand what God is saying about Himself. And that we see who He is. And we believe it. If God had not become angry with His people and sent enemies and plunderers into His people, That would have been cruel. Because God had promised His people if you follow me, I will bless you. But if you don't follow me, I'm going to bring into your life such difficulty that in the difficulty, you would be in a position to turn your heart back to me. We practice this kind of thing in our parenting a lot. Whenever our children are doing something that we know that if they continue to do will bring them great harm, what do we do? We oftentimes get upset that they've done it. We get upset that they've done something that we say, that's so foolish. How could he be so foolish? And yet they don't want see like we see it. And so in our anger at times, we, we want to reach out and help them see that if they continue in that path, it will be destruction for them. And our actions toward them, even if we're angered over what they did, are actions that are intended to prevent them from continuing down a path that would be destructive. That's like the best case scenario of a human being's display of anger that works for the good of their child, helping them not be in that situation. A parent who says, you know what, I don't care what you do, you do whatever you want, I'm going to leave you to yourself, is not a very loving parent. What God has said to his people is, if you abandon me, I will not abandon you. But if you abandon me, you need to know this is how I'm going to come in to call you back to myself. I'm going to come in with difficulty. So that in the difficulty, your heart would be in a position where idolatry could not take it. Idolatry wants to take their hearts to a completely dullness to God. But God breaks in with enemies to so soften their hearts to Him. And then what God does is He brings a judge into their life. That's exactly what He does. Look here, verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their father had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord is with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge." For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who had oppressed and afflicted them. But it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. So there we get a snapshot of the book of Judges. This is what we're going to read again and again. God's people abandoned God disregard Him. God brings difficulty in their lives so they would turn back to Him. They begin to groan, and they begin to cry out, and God in His compassion sends a judge, a deliverer, and that deliverer gives God's people another chance to walk with God. While the judge is present, they walk with God, but as soon as the judge dies, they turn back from walking with God into their ways in an even deeper way than they were before. And we're gonna see this spiral of brokenness spin completely out of control by the end of Judges. So we'll be asking ourselves the question, where is a better deliverer? These judges are simply not sufficient. They're not delivering the people the way the people need to be delivered. The moment the judge is gone, they turn right back to their evil, their brokenness. God brings difficulty in. Their hearts are ripe. The judge comes in. They say, we'll take another chance. And they keep the cycle going. And so what God does in the rest of this passage is He says, I'm leaving the inhabitants of the land in the land. So when you turn away from Me, there's going to be a consequence of your sin. The people that I told you I'd drive out, I'm not driving out because you have turned away from me. And so I'm going to let the consequences of your sin stay in your lives. And he says, the reason I'm going to let them stay in your lives is because I want this to be a way that a response is provoked from your hearts. You would decide to follow me. I'm going to leave them in the land so that you will learn the value of war because you'll learn through war what it means to trust me. I'm going to leave the consequence of your sin in the land in hopes that one more message would be heard by you to turn back to me. That's what this rest of this passage is about. Look look at verse verse 20. So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he said, because this nation is transgressed transgressed my covenant which I commanded their fathers. He has not not listened to my voice. I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them. Whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk in it as their fathers did or not. So the Lord allowed those nations to remain and not drive them out quickly. He did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Then skip down to chapter 3, verse 2, in order that the generation of the sons of Israel might be taught war, those who had not formerly experienced it. Then verse 3, these are the nations that are left there. Verse 4, they were for the testing of Israel to find out if they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded to their fathers through Moses. And notice verse 6. Here's what they did. They took... Their wives for themselves as wi- their, their daughters for themselves as wives, and he, they gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. In spite of all the messages of God's great compassion to his people, they continued to forsake Him. The, the, last, the last message in the book of Judges is the people did whatever was right in their own eyes and there was no king in the land. The book of Judges is so much about our life story. I mean, who in here has not done whatever is right in their own eyes at some point in your life? Who in here has not decided to disregard God in some decision of life and made that decision and then regretted it? wished you to paid more attention to what God said? Who in here has not made a mistake in your life and realized, you know what? There's a better way. Who in here has not fallen short of who God is and His expectations? We are all in the same place, disregarding God and His Word in various ways and various times in our lives. And God knows... We need a better judge, a better deliverer. And here's what God does. When you and I sin against God, God is kind to us and compassionate in our sin because He's designed the sins of our lives to lead us to a place where our heart is not satisfied, our heart is not filled, our heart is not made right we are broken and sin just brings more brokenness in our lives and we are in a place where we need a deliverer we recognize we need something beyond ourselves And God has designed the consequences of our sins to bring us to the place of needing a deliverer. And God sent Jesus Christ, the one true judge, the once and for all deliverer, so that if anybody puts their trust in Jesus Christ, their sins are completely forgiven. And He takes up residence with them through His Spirit so that you are never, ever without the presence of Jesus Christ. You're one Great Deliverer. And all the sins of our lives that separate us from God because we went our own way, Jesus Christ is paid for completely. He has brought us back into the land of knowing God and nothing can remove us from that relationship. But every one of us still bears the marks the consequences of having sinned against God. Now when you come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you begin to abide in His Word, there are consequences of some of your sins that He just eradicates. He removes some of the inhabitants of the land. By His grace, He erases some consequences of some sins in our life when we come to Him. But many of our sins... Many of our sins and their consequences are not erased. We are forgiven completely and totally. But the consequences of our sins oftentimes are not eradicated. They're left in place. The inhabitants of the land are left in the land in the form of our consequences. And I think sometimes we wonder, what is wrong with me? Did I not trust the Lord enough? Did I not decide to follow Him? Like, Did I not do something right? Why are the consequences of these sins that God has forgiven still in my life? Sometimes we wonder what's wrong with God. And here's where we get in a really dangerous situation. We begin to think God is angry at me. Because if I trusted Him and He forgave me, but these consequences are still here and I'm still living in this, maybe He's angry at me and He's wanting to punish me. And we think wrongly of God because that's not who God is. When we come to Jesus Christ, our one true Deliverer, and He forgives us of all our sin, we have towards us from God the favor of God that's only due Christ. So what God is extending towards you is His favor. And if consequences of your sins remain in your life, it's not because God is angry with you. It's because God is compassionate towards you in your sin so that you might not return to your sin. And so he leaves some of the inhabitants in the land so that you would be turning back to him again and again and again, becoming someone that your sin never intended you to become. See, the consequences of your sin are in your life and left alone will destroy your life. But God in His redemption through Christ takes those consequences of your sin and does something with them that none of us deserve. He redeems them. And He makes them into encouragement and motivation to follow Him. Transforms who we are so that we're a blessing to many other people even through the consequences. An older gentleman came up to me in the earlier service after the service and he said to me, the, just a kind of a quivering voice, you could tell it was an emotional moment and he just said, I want you to know that the sins that I've committed against God before I ever met God, God took all of the consequences to those sins and he used those to make me somebody that could help other people. Know him. He just said, I'm so grateful. I think part of the reason he wanted to share that story with me is because I shared a story with the church in the first service about something very personal in my life. That I had a sin in my life that created real brokenness. When I was 16, 17 years old, I was so angry at my mom. I I pretty much could say there, there was the emotion of hatred in my heart towards her because of what she had done. The brokenness that she brought into our lives, the terrible decisions she had made, the way she had wrecked our home. I was angry at her. And I was unforgiving. And the unforgiveness of my heart caused me to say things and act in ways that injured her. I hurt her because she had hurt me. Here's the crazy thing about that. My sinful unforgiveness caused me to pursue an action towards my mom that I felt like if I did that, I would feel better. If I told her how bad she was, if I told her how much she disappointed me, if I told her how wrong she was, it would make me feel better because she'd know just how much she'd hurt me. You know what I found out? That my actions of unforgiveness hurt me, not her. Yeah, they hurt her, but they hurt me even worse. What I wanted, I didn't get... And I found out because of the condition my sin put me in that the only thing that could help me get what I needed in my unforgiveness was Jesus Christ and my Deliverer. My judge came in and said, you're the one that has unforgiveness. It's your sin that's keeping you from me and I am your only answer. And I said, okay, Lord, I want you to teach me to forgive someone who's hurt me so deeply. I don't know how I can forgive. (laughs) He did. He forgave me of my sin. It changed the way I live the rest of my life. But here's the thing. The consequences of my sin in the relationship with my mom did not change immediately. The relationship was still broken. It was still difficult. It was not fun. I had a hard time being around my mom. It was still very, very challenging Why did God not eradicate the consequences of my sin? Because God in his compassion knew that keeping the relationship with my mom right the way it was would drive me to himself. He kept the inhabitant in the land for my good. He's compassionate. He is gracious. And what he did was wonderful. And my mom and I worked through the difficulty of that brokenness over the next decade plus years. And before she died, she said, Kevin, she didn't know she was going to die in about six months, but this is what she said to me. She she said, Kevin, for the rest of your life, when you have opportunity and the time is right for you to share what God has done in all that we've experienced, you tell people what God has done. I want their lives to be changed because how he's changed us. Listen, if today you are bearing the weight of the consequences of your sin and you have turned your heart to Christ and the consequences remain, they are not remaining because God wants to punish you. They're only remaining because He wants you to trust Him. And if you keep trusting Him, He'll use those consequences to be a great blessing in your life and in many lives around you. He wants you to walk with Him. He is not acting towards you to harm you. He's acting towards you to draw you near. You see, the problem with the people was not their idolatry. The problem with the people and judges was not the inhabitants of the land. Those are symptoms. The real problem was that they had stopped paying attention to who God was and what God said. And a generation rose up that did not know God. If you do anything today, my prayer is that you leave this place and you surrender your heart to the Lord to saturate your life with the Word of God. That you would leave today more surrendered to know Him and His Word than you were when you came here And that you would not stop with yourself, but you would see the joy of pouring your life out to others. And moms and dads in this room, that you would say, Lord, I want to surrender to you to be a discipler of my children. I want to help my children know who you are and what you've said as I get to know who you are and what you've said. Because I don't want the next generation to say, we don't know who God is and we don't care. No, we want to be disciple makers. We want to pour out the Word of God into the lives of the next generation so that the older in the faith in here would pour out their lives to the younger in the faith. And that we join in this great adventure of responding to the opportunity of making people see the wonder of Christ. Do you know the people who best take up the call to help others see Christ. It's the people who know the compassion of God. And He has extended His compassion to you. He loves you. And Jesus Christ, the great Deliverer, has come for you. And He is set to redeem every consequence of your sin for His glory. We just need to trust Him. Let's pray together.